You're listening to the James Faith in Jesus Work Series, preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. If you have your Bible tonight, turn to James chapter 4. We'll be in James chapter 4 once again this evening. I'm excited to be back in the passage. Last week I let you know that James chapter 4 verses 13 to 17 are, is a passage in my life that God has used on a number of occasions throughout my days as a believer to redirect me and to guide me and to, and to remind me of the importance of living for God in my life. And I wanted to give you one specific time that that happened for me. Growing up, I would have considered myself a Christian. I grew up in a home that, that talked a lot about Jesus. We went to a Catholic church on Sundays, but went to a, a Baptist uh, kids club throughout the week. And so I knew a lot about Jesus, and I knew a lot about some of the truths of the Bible. And I would have, if you asked me, I would have said, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a Christian. But it wasn't until I was about 16 years old that I really understood the difference between knowing about Jesus in your head and saying you believe on him and actually repenting and putting your faith in him. That's that's a huge difference between knowing about Jesus and really knowing Christ as your Savior. And so at that time, a lot of things in my life changed. Prior to that, I had had kind of vacillated between a few different options as far as the direction of my life, what I was going to be when I got older. And about age 16, I think you really start thinking about your future, your career, your school, all those things that you want to do. And so I had always, well, I I mean, in my dreams, I was going to be some kind of pro athlete. That, That was it. But 16, I started to realize that probably wouldn't be a reality for me. So I set my sights on the next best thing. The other thing that I thought I was really good at, now was arguing. <laughs> I wanted to be a lawyer. <laughs> and I thought, man, I, I, I think I could probably get up in court and convince people to see things my way. And I'm sure that there are people in this room that can attest to my ability to argue. <laughs> I think um, there were times that I wrote papers for my mom to explain to my mom and dad explaining why the consequence that I had received was far too great for the action or how I had reformed my life and it would completely be different from this point forward on and that the consequence is no longer needed. And I like to do things like that. And they actually listened to those. <laughs> I got out of a lot of time. Um, so I thought, I'm going to be a lawyer. And then when I gave my life to Christ, I, it, was, it was actually some of these verses that helped me realize that maybe that wasn't the direction God was leading me. And I, I didn't have a time in my life where God came and spoke to me and said, Dan, you've got to be a pastor. I didn't have this one time where I'd look back and say, yeah, that was the date that I surrendered to preach. But it was like every door that God opened in my life was a door toward full-time ministry. Right? Even, even the fact that the girl that he brought in my life, Tara, she'd always prayed that someday she would be married to a pastor. She wanted to be involved in ministry full-time. Uh, we were going to a Christian school, and the first thing they did, like two weeks after being saved, I started a preaching class. That's, that's weird, but that's what we did. And so I was preaching like a month after being saved. I, I preached before my baptism about baptism. So... So that was the direction God was leading me. I went to a, a Bible school, got to open those doors, and, and then when I was 19 years old, came here. So I've been here for 12, 12 almost 13, 13 years it'll be in April. That's a long time. And so it was these verses speaking about the fact that 
our plans and our purposes outside of God's will, they're just a waste. There's no point. What, what are we doing if we're living for our personal gain, our pleasure, if, we, if we're not considering what God wants for our lives? These verses provided me the assurance that I was on the right path, and I'm thankful for them. And so next week, we are going to, I guess next time we're in the book of James, we'll be devoting our full time to the will of God in our lives. But tonight, I want to focus on just one phrase in these verses, and it speaks about the brevity of our lives. So let's look at James chapter 4, verse 13, and I'll read the whole passage. James writes, Go to now, you that say, Today or tomorrow we, go, we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then vanishes away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings, and all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. So James begins with this story about a person, and I don't believe James had received a report from some believers he was writing to that talked about this terrible businessman that was making plans for his business. I think James is addressing this attitude that is so prevalent among believers. I'm actually encouraged that James had to address this issue back then. It's not just a problem of our day. It's not just a problem in North America. It was a problem for Christians throughout the ages. That they were living their lives, and yeah, they were saved. They had trusted Christ as their Savior. They were headed toward heaven. But this life was still about them. It was still about their plans, their purposes. It was still about their pleasure. And so these people are doing what makes complete sense to all of us. But the problem is, it makes complete sense in a worldview that doesn't include eternity. If eternity is not real, then they should do exactly what they're doing and not consider God's will for their life. But if eternity is real, then everything they're doing is just a waste of time. And this is not just these people. This is us. right? Our lives, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Our very lives are in God's hands. And our lives are short. Because those things are true, we should be living our lives for the glory of God. It is this final statement that your life is short that I want to spend our time tonight. The brevity of life is a truth that's in Scripture so many times it can't be ignored. It is incredibly important. And I think it is a needful reminder for us, especially for the younger folks here who who they still don't understand how short life is. I know that the saying always goes that they think they're going to live forever. And none of us really believe we're going to live forever. But the idea that our days are ticking by, that we're losing time, that we're going toward the grave, I think that doesn't kick in until a little bit later. And I think what the Bible would do is, hey, hey, that needs to start kicking in now. You need to start thinking about your life as short. You need to start thinking about living your life with eternity in view and not just the next 50 years or 20 years or whatever span of time that your brain sees ahead of you. Go further. Go to eternity. We will have one time when we're children that we get to take a nap whenever we want. 
maybe when you're retired, you can do that. But I know a lot of retired people that are pretty busy. So one time as kids, and the problem is you don't ever want to. I know my kids never want to. And so we use naps as like punishments. Like, punish me. <laughs> it never works. <laughs> you have one time you get to have teenage years. When I think of my childhood, I don't, I don't think of many things I regret as a, as a child. Maybe that's because I wasn't saved. Maybe that's because I, I didn't really think a lot about anything. But when I was a teenager, I think back to my teenage years, and I still I have regrets. There are things that I wish I would have done differently. There are people that I wish have acted differently toward. Right? I think during my teenage years, I spent too much time thinking about myself and what I wanted in this life and, and my pleasure and not enough time actually trying to do God's will. And so I regret those things. We get one chance at it, though. I don't get to go back and be like, I'm going to be in grade nine again. It doesn't work like that. Right? And, and all of us have passed through different stages of life, and none of them do we get to, to rewind. You go through your 20s. You go through your 30s. You get over that hill. And you start going down. <laughs> isn't, isn't it called, isn't it over, is, that's, a, that's not just what I said. That's a general term. Right? Over, if I say over the hill, what, is, what age am I talking about? 95. Oh, wow. <laughs> Our pastor is delirious. Um, <laughs> it's funny how that date moves, isn't it? Like, oh, no, no, the best time of your life is 60, oh, 70. So, anyways, <laughs> the truth is it's, I mean, 40s, 50s, 60s. And I think when you start getting those numbers, you realize how fast they're going by. I already look at my life, and I can't believe how much has gone by. I still, I can't believe that my daughter is experiencing things that I clearly remember experiencing. I remember being on soccer teams at 10 years old. I remember um, reading the books that she's reading about the Hardy Boys now. I remember those things, and they're gone for me. And I can't believe that, that so much time has passed, because our lives are short. Right? Our life is like a vapor that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. There's a passage in the book of Ecclesiastes that encapsulates this truth incredibly well. Here we have Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, next to Christ, begging his son not to waste his days while he is young. Why is he doing this? Because he knows what it's like to get older. And he knows what it's like to waste your days. He just doesn't want that for his son. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he summarizes this incredible um, life of going from youth and then getting older. And he uses these analogies that are they're really neat. That it's really cool how he does this. And so I'm looking forward to going through um, Ecclesiastes 12 verses 1 to 8. He says in verse 1, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Right? This is Solomon's purpose, his goal. He wants his son to remember his creator while he's still young. Remember, think about, live for your creator while you still have life, while you still have your faculties intact, while there's all this time in front of you to serve him, Remember him. Think about him. Have him on your mind. Meditate on him. Right? Don't waste it thinking about things that are of no value. Don't live a vain life, kind of like Solomon did in the end. But remember God. 
He says in verse 2, While the sun, or the light, or the moon, or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. I think verse 2 is this overall contrast between the youth and then moving toward old age. That while you're youth, the sun is bright, and it's shining, and there's light, and there's life. But as you get older, it just starts to dim. It gets darker. Right? The storm clouds come, and the rain comes, and then when you think the storm clouds should be going away, they're still there. They just don't leave like they used to. Now he begins his description of the aging process in verse 3. It says, In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, the strong men shall bow themselves, themselves, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look out of the window be darkened. Yeah, I think this is kind of a fun exercise. Can you, can you figure out what he's talking about when he's using these analogies? What does he mean when he says the keepers of the house shall tremble? I don't think it's your legs. What, what is the thing that keeps, it takes care of you all the time? It's your hands. It's your arms, right? You start to tremble. You start to do things. You pick up a glass and it starts to tremble a little bit. Right? And then you have the um, strong men shall bow themselves. Well, what's the strongest part of your body? Your legs, your back, and all of a sudden, instead of walking straight up and no problems like you used to, you're starting to find that it's a lot easier just to like hunch a little bit because it feels feels a little bit better, right? This, I mean, I, I know, I'm not saying every old person looks like this, but what he's saying is these are, the th- these are some symptoms of old age. This is what happens as people get older. And, and the truth is it happens to all of us, maybe in different ways and to different degrees, but here's what happens. You start to the bow a little bit. He says, the, why can't I keep my the grinders shall cease because they're few. What do you think that is? Your teeth. You start losing your teeth. Now, thankfully in our day, we have these people called dentists that can stick new ones in there. And so we have less of this problem. But can you imagine what they went through back then? They didn't, didn't have all the dental knowledge that we have now, and so you'd get older, and soon you'd have no teeth, no grinders left. It says, the windows be darkened. Your eyes. Yeah, you're looking out into the world, and, and it's just getting dimmer. Your vision's deteriorating. I think we actually heard about that this morning a little bit. Pastor, you said you couldn't see something. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll get to that in a bit. <laughs> He says in verse 4, And the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low, and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. Now, I think that that whole verse is referring to one thing that's happening. I think that is your hearing. Things you're hearing deteriorating. Imagine the difference between if you were sitting in your house and you had the doors wide open and you were listening to the sounds of the streets compared to what it would sound like if you closed them. What happens when you close those doors? All the sounds are muffled, right? They're just not as clear as they used to be. They're not as discernible as they used to be. You have the music that's brought low. You just can't hear it as well. The, the singing of the birds, right? It's just not as clear as it used to be. They would have grinding stones that would grind up the wheat and the barley 
into flour. And, and it used to be that you could hear those stones grinding together, but now it's just this low noise that's really hard to discern what it is. These are the things that happen as you get older. Verse number five. Also, when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and fears shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, the grasshopper shall be a burden, the desire shall fail. Because man goes to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. Now, these are some of the really harder ones, so let's, let's really test ourselves now. What do you think he's saying when you're afraid of that which is high? You don't climb ladders? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think he's, he might be talking about a, f- a fear of heights. You know, you're not getting up and doing those things that you used to be able to do. I think maybe it's, it's just a fear of those things that once were manageable. Once they were easy, once you could do them, once you could conquer them, but now they're a lot more difficult. How about having fears in the way? Watch your step. Good. Absolutely. I think traveling becomes more difficult. You used to have no problem hopping in your car and going down the 401 for five hours and no big deal. But now it's like, you know, don't want to do that at night. Don't want to do that all by myself. Just that whole traveling thing. I think that even the, the fear of what could happen to you while you're traveling, if you're traveling alone. One time you were strong, you could defend yourself, but now you're an easy target. All those things. He says, the almond tree shall flourish. Anybody have an idea on that one? No, no, it's a good, good guess. Good guess. I think he's talking about the almond tree blossoming, flourishing. That's true. The world does keep going. <laughs> that could be if you have a little almond tree in your yard. Do you know that almond trees, they make beautiful white flowers. And all of a sudden, you're filled with these beautiful white flowers all over your head, right? And all in your beard. This is driving me crazy. Uh, Christmas time, I walked into the fellowship hall, and Caitlin and Maria Alfaro were there, and Maria looked at me like she was stunned. What, what is it? She's like, you have gray hair. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I do. A little bit right here. I never saw it before. Yeah, well, it's there. That's what happens, right? The almond tree flourishes. The grasshopper shall be a burden. Now, this is kind of interesting, unless you know about the, what a grasshopper's life is like. Right? When they're young, they have powerful legs that can jump incredibly high. They're amazingly fast creatures. But when they get old, they move very, very slowly. Like, they have six legs, two at the front, two big ones at the back. Sorry, two at each side of the front, so four at the front, two big ones at the back. And, and it's like they're taking one step at a time. Like, they're carefully moving, right? The grasshopper shall be a burden. Desire shall fail. I think he's talking about different appetites, natural appetites we have, whether it's for food or other things. That fails. It's, not, it's just not as strong as it used to be. He says, because man goes to his long home. Can me guess what his long home is? It's the grave. I mean, that's where, he's gonna, that's where his body's going for a long, long time. And the mourners go about the streets. Someday, believe it or not, 
People will be filling up a funeral home or, or a church service. They'll be mourning your grave, your death, family members. That's, this is the course of life. Verse 6, he just kind of gives all of these different pictures of things that used to be very useful and vibrant and helpful that are now broken. In verse 6 he says, Or, the, or ever the silver cord shall be loosed, it's broken, the golden bowl shall be broken, the pitcher shall be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. And all these costly things, all of these useful things that are now broken and gone. Verse 7 says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. And if that's all life is, then Solomon is absolutely right. And you know in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is describing what life is like under the sun. So what life is like including only this earth, no eternity, no God, nothing more than that, if if life is just what we see under the sun, then in our lives progress to the point where we are bending over and we're not seeing and we're not hearing and we're scared of things and we're not able to move quickly and we have all of these things that are just happening one at a time to us as we age. And then eventually we die and we're buried and we spend the rest of eternity in our long home. If that's all true, Everything is vain. Everything is useless. There's no point of being here tonight if that's true. There's really not a point of much if that's true. And so I think Solomon has it absolutely right. Under the sun, everything is vain. But you know what happens in verse 13 and 14. Solomon brings it back to, but what do we do if God is real? What do we do if if God... It's not just about under the sun. Verse 13, he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. And so here is the conclusion from the wisest man who ever lived, who was given every pleasure that you can ever imagine. He's experienced everything. You will never never be able to experience pleasure like Solomon did. It's impossible. He says the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Inclusion of it all, when you think about God, understand that he's there, and that he's, he's a God to be feared. And yes, that means reverential fear. It means that we should revere him, think, think highly of him. But understand that he is also powerful and all-knowing and, and everywhere at all times, and that someday you stand before him. So, there, so when you're doing something wrong, there should be a good reason to fear him. Right Now, he's not an evil God. He's not an awful God. He's not a capricious God who's going to hurt you for, for his pleasure. But he is a God that is powerful and ought to be feared. Right? We should have incredible reverence toward this God. So live your life in reverence to God. How do you do that? Keep his commandments. Right? What did he tell you to do? How did he tell you to live? What are we supposed to be living for? What is this life supposed to be about? Fear God is to keep his commandments. And he finishes in verse 14, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Someday, every person that lives will go through this aging process. And someday, every person that lives will die. And every person that lives will stand before God. 
And at that time, God will judge everything that that person did. And that is a terrifying thought if you don't know Christ. If you don't know God, that's that's a reason to know what the gospel is. To know that there is hope beyond the grave. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to look at two undeniable truths and then make a very broad application and just pray that, that God will convict you where it's needed. Let's look at these two undeniable truths. The first one is this. We cling to life, but our grasp is weak. We all are clinging to life. The desire for youth is almost cultic among some people. There's a book that was written. It was called Drinking Problems at the Fountain of Youth. The writer is Beth Tiedel. And she writes about women who spend their lives pursuing success and that they actually gain success in all of these different areas of your life. I mean, if if you were to look at them, you'd say that is the epitome of what a successful woman is. But look what she says. She says, if they, these women, have furrows and hints of upper lip lines and puppet mouth, I don't even know what that is, but puppet mouth must be something. When those around them are smoother than freshly ironed pretesi linens, what's it all worth? So what is it all worth if you gain all of the success, but then the women around you, they look prettier than you. They have less wrinkles than you do. She says, in a word, nothing. That's how important youth is. This this cult of youth. There's a book all about this. Think about how many creams are sold that claim to be anti-aging. But if we were honest in this room, there's been a lot of people here putting creams on. Anti-aging. Why? We don't want to look our age. We want to look younger. We want to be younger. How much time is spent applying makeup to decrease the look of aging? Or time spent in the gym to just get that life back you once had? According to the American Society for Aesthetic Plastic Surgery, plastic surgeons perform more than 10 million cosmetic surgeries a year, and the vast majority of those have no medical help. They're not medically necessary. Isn't that amazing? 10 million surgeries a year? I wonder how many people could be helped in other countries with 10 million surgeries. And we're doing all these surgeries so we look a little bit younger. Look. A little bit younger. We're not even talking about actually being able to rewind time. We're talking about just the appearance. Here's the truth. At best, these remedies are band-aids masking the undeniable reality that we all get older and then we all die. Clinging to life is like grabbing a rope that is tied to the back of a rocket ship. It blasts off and you see if you can hang on. And you just can't hang on, right? You can't cling to it. The rope goes. You're gone. Someday, some, if not all of these things that he talks about will happen to you. Your hands will shake. Your legs and back will hurt so much you start to hunch. Your teeth will fall out. Your eyesight will deteriorate. Your hearing will diminish. Your fear will increase. Traveling will become more difficult. Your hair will whiten. Your movements will become painfully slow. Your appetites will fail. And eventually, your loved ones will mourn your death. Such a happy sermon, isn't it? (laughs) All useful things have a lifespan. Everything we see in nature teaches us this truth, that everything dies. 
Nothing lasts. Everything rusts. Everything fades. Everything corrodes. All plants, seasons, they die. So the first thing we have to realize is that we will cling to life, but our grasp is weak and it will ultimately fail. Second thing we must realize is undeniable truth is that death will come and usually sooner than we desire. If you know my sister Samantha, you know that she is very thoughtful. But something you didn't know about Samantha is that when she was three years old, she was a philosopher. And she sat around one day as a toddler teaching a group of adults a truth that is far beyond her years. And my mom tells this story quite often. Says that she looked at my Uncle Joe straight in his, his eyes, and she said, Uncle Joe, you can't fight time. That's pretty impressive for a three-year-old, right? You can't fight time. How true that is. Try as we might, time keeps ticking on. And the truth is, eventually it ticks to that place where it's, our time is up. We can't fight the reality that we are all marching toward the grave. The scriptures are filled with verses that compare our lives to a variety of natural events to help us see how transient we are. And I didn't want to give you like a million verses tonight, so I figured I'd pick one book, the book of Job, and just give you a couple verses, a couple ideas of what Job says our lives are like. He says in chapter 7, verse 6, that our lives go by, our days go by, swifter than a weaver's shuttle. This is a weaving machine that creates fabric, um, cloth, out of small strands of wool. And you can imagine how fast that machine goes by, how fast it is able to do the work it does. Our lives are, go by like a weaver's shuttle. Verse 7, he says our lives, our days go by like the wind. Now, even incredible hurricanes last for relatively short periods of time. And as powerful and strong as they might feel while they're at their peak, they die down, and then they're gone. And then people pick up the rubble, and they pick up the stuff, and they rebuild, and, and that hurricane is all but forgotten. Your lives go by like the wind. Chapter 8, verse 9, he says it's a shadow that soon passes. Picture a shadow. It's there. Made a little bit of impact while it was there. Not much. And then it's gone. Chapter 9, verse 25, he says it is, the days go by like a swift runner. And I was just thinking about that. The next time that you see a jogger, you should tell him to slow down. <laughs> a swift runner, right? They're just, they're going. Right? They, have a, they have a mission. They're from here to point A to point B as fast as they can. And your life is like that. It's just running past. It's going. And then it's gone. Chapter 14, verse 2. It is a flower that blossoms and then withers. That's why I say we look at nature and we see all the time this, this reminder of the reality of our life. That it's transient. It's here and then it's gone. It's this flower that's beautiful and bright. And then it's wilted. Then it's dead. The idea is all over the book of Psalms as well. Very few people are ready to die when it is their time. Um, I've had the opportunity to see a few saints walk off into glory. And many of them, they die well. Many of them die trusting God, finding joy even in their hardship. But even when I think of most of the saints that I've seen pass, most of them still wish they had more time. 
Now, a lot of people in this life, they, they die, and they don't die well, and they just wish they had more time. But the fact is, we rarely get to die when we think it's time. You rarely get to choose the disease that takes you the day that you go. A lot of people wake up and have no idea that that's their last morning. You die, and you're gone. You get that diagnosis, and you know it's just a matter of time. It's, it's awful, but it's the awful reality of our lives. One of the amazing things I've experienced over the last year was the opportunity to visit um, Ron Sparks on a number of occasions before he passed. And we know Ron was a good man. We know this church was full of people that were here to celebrate his life and his dedication to Christ. But it was amazing that as you visited Ron, it, it is very rare that I went up to see Ron where he didn't speak about the fact that he wished he had more time and he wished he would have used the time he had to build the kingdom in a greater way. He said that almost every time you'd go visit him. He wished he had more time. It wasn't because he just wanted more pleasure. It wasn't because he didn't get to experience, he didn't get to like check off his bucket list. It's because he was starting to realize that his days were numbered, that he didn't, he didn't have the energy, he didn't have the opportunity to do the things that he was able to do once, and he wished he could get those back because he could use them for something that actually mattered more. Now, Ron used many of his opportunities for the glory of God, and we're thankful for those. But he's a guy who, who got to actually see this truth played out in his life. He got to see the reality that we all have, but we like to ignore. We don't have an un, unbelievable number of days. We don't have innumerable days left in our lives that our days are numbered. Ron saw it clearly. And when he saw it, he said, I wished I would have used more days to serve the Lord. Why can't we learn that lesson from him? If you were to go tonight, how would you feel about what you accomplished for the Lord? If we were to say, tonight's your last night here on earth, would you go to heaven feeling as though you really used your time wisely? Or would you go to heaven wishing you had more days, not because you didn't experience all the things you wanted to, not because you didn't get to walk your daughter down the aisle or, or some of those things. Would, it, would you feel as though you wish you had more time to serve the Lord? Um, Paul says in Philippians 1.21, for, for to me is to live as Christ and to die as gain. And I think we th- theoretically get this, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Yeah, okay, that's death is gain, we go to heaven, we get that. But then he says in verse 23, I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ which is far better, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. I think we have trouble understanding that verse because we don't live it. That we actually have this desire to depart, but we're being so used by God here on earth that we know it's better for the people that are here. Wouldn't it be glorious if more of us could say that that's the truth of our lives? We want to go to heaven, but we know we're so needed here in the local church. But I think most of us would say, don't really want to go yet. But it's not because I feel like I'm pouring so much into so many people's lives that it would really be a loss for the church if I left. Uh, we should live like that. We should live like Paul lived. He's, I mean, if nothing else, do you know what Paul got that we failed to get? This life doesn't matter. This life is an opportunity to serve God. All of Paul's treasure was stored up in heaven. And that's what he lived for. And so, the application, life should be lived with our creator in mind. Pretty simple. 
Life should be lived with our Creator in mind. Whatever you're doing with your life right now, do it with your Creator in in mind. Remember Him while you're doing it. Remember what He's done for you. Think of Him often. Think of the fact that He loves you. He loves you so much that He sent Jesus to come to the earth and to live a perfect, sinless life and then to die for you. Think about the fact that He loves you so much that He gave His Son in your place so you could be with Him forever. Think about the fact that He's gone to prepare a place for you. There's a place waiting in heaven for you to live with Him for eternity. That someday we get to see His face and be with Him. That there's no more sun because He's there with us and He's our light. Right? Start thinking about heaven a little bit and about eternity a little bit more and start living in light of those facts. Live your life with your Creator in mind. Lose your life in the service of Christ and you'll realize how life was truly meant to be lived. Heed the words of Christ to take up your cross and follow him because there's nothing else worth carrying. James here reminds us of this bittersweet truth. Your life is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Your life is short and at times it's hard. But life is a gift that we have for such a short time that it would be foolish to live it for anything other than the glory of God. And so let's go to our work and our lives and our, our family and our friends this week with the truth of the brevity of our lives in mind.